We turn in God's holy inspired word this morning to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. especially in light of the reference in the fifth verse to the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, that I call your attention this morning to the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 26. As the Catechism now takes up what Scripture teaches concerning the sacraments, beginning with the sacrament of holy baptism. So in Lord's Day 26, we have questions and answers 69 through 71. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee? Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise 
that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by his sacrifice on the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where has Christ promised us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 25, we were introduced to the subject of the means of grace, chief of which is the preaching of the gospel, but added to the preaching as that which confirms and seals that gospel proclaimed by faithful preachers, are the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. One of the most important truths set before us last week in Lord's Day 25 was the truth proclaimed in the 67th answer, namely that the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us in the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon the one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. Our salvation depends entirely upon Christ's perfect work. That's the proclamation of the gospel, and that's the truth assured us in the sign and seal of the sacrament of baptism. As the Catechism leads us through a study of the two sacraments over the next few weeks, we begin this morning our consideration of the sacrament of holy baptism. And as you know, in the church world of our day, the controversy over baptism focuses on whether or not to baptize infants. But that question will be addressed next week, Lord willing, in the treatment of Lord's Day 27. Before we get to that question, it's important for us to understand the meaning of baptism what it signifies, and what are the implications of that sacrament instituted by Christ for his church. So I call your attention to the Christian's baptism, 
we notice, first of all, a sobering lesson. Secondly, a gospel sign and seal. And finally, the resultant obligation. When we consider the sacrament of baptism, we must first understand the need for baptism and the sobering lesson it brings us. After all, baptism depends or testifies of the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. That's how the catechism begins its treatment of holy baptism. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee? Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Baptism holds before us the sobering lesson of the pollution of our souls. It reminds us, in the words of Titus 3, verse 3, that we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's a description of the human heart. Foolish, that is without sense, without understanding. Apart from Christ, there is no spiritual understanding, no sense of the good news of the gospel, no sense of the joy of the Christian life. It follows, therefore, that we were disobedient. And in our disobedience, we showed ourselves deceived, fundamentally deceiving ourselves, following the lie of the devil, that great deceiver, and so we're naturally slaves to our own lusts and pleasures. And being slaves to self, we readily live in malice and envy, showing ourselves hateful and hating one another. And what does the God who created us require of us? That we love him with all our hearts, and soul, and mind, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you understand then the need of being washed from the pollution of your soul? As Jesus said in John 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes, he spoke that to Nicodemus, that, but he made clear that that application is universal. He repeated that word and expanded upon it in John 3, verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
That's why what follows in Titus 3 is so beautiful. Against what we once were stands this contrast introduced in verse 4 by that word of contrast, but but after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, that could never affect that necessary cleansing and salvation, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When we were consumed by the pollution of our souls, did God give us what we deserved? Did he destroy us? Did he give us over to the hell that we deserved? Did he say to us, I'll give you one more chance. All you have to do is this and this and this. Did he promise us salvation by works of righteousness, which we should do? Then none of us would be saved. That pollution of our souls required cleansing. Baptism, which signifies being taken into the covenant fellowship and life of the living God, teaches us that that entrance into God's covenant comes only by being made partakers of that cleansing by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And why should he give that to you and to me? According to his mercy, he saved us. The appearance of the kindness and love of God, our Savior. That's why we don't despair when God gives us children to be brought up in this world of increasing wickedness and rising persecution, we don't despair for sinners. We recognize that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We lay hold of the promise that the kindness and love of God would come to expression also by saving sinners in the line of generations. A truth that will be considered in greater depth in Lord's Day 27. But we realize, as Titus 3 verse 5 tells us, God saves us according to his mercy. Mercy shows pity toward those who are in deep distress, in a desperate state and condition, unable to extract themselves from it. Mercy, by definition, 
excludes any idea of deserving that mercy. It's the expression of love and compassion, and in this case, the love and compassion of the God who alone could save us. We don't deserve to have the pollution of our souls washed away. We don't deserve to be cleansed from our sins. We who are filthy through and through do not deserve to have the perfectly holy and righteous God reach down into our misery and pull us up into his fellowship. We deserve to wallow in our filth. After all, we plunge ourselves into that mire of sin and death. But I am washed by the blood and spirit of Christ from all the pollution of my soul. That's what baptism testifies. Titus 3 verse 5 speaks of it as the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. While Paul, in this chapter, does not use the term baptism, the washing of regeneration is a reference to the spiritual reality to which the sacrament of baptism points. It's important to understand the reference that way, a reference to the spiritual reality to which the sacrament of baptism points. We are not to believe that the washing of that water of the sacrament of baptism is the cleansing, the washing away of our sins. We are not to believe that that pouring of water over the head of an infant or a little child affects regeneration. The sacrament itself is a sign and seal of the righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ, as Romans 4 verse 11 makes clear. And for that reason, baptism is a sign and seal only for the elect. Though all the children of believers receive the sacrament, as do those adults who are new converts, who'd never been baptized. But the washing of regeneration is a reference to the reality which is signified by the sacrament. The idea is the same as what we read in Romans 6, which also speaks of the reality of baptism where we read in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the idea of that washing is 
a fulfillment of what Ezekiel was given to prophesy in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That washing of regeneration works a radical change and submerges us, as it were, in the life of Christ, thus making us partakers of him and all his benefits. The sacrament of baptism, therefore, is a gospel sign and seal. The washing of regeneration, that is the true significance of holy baptism, is unfolded in question and answer 70 of our catechism. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by his sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. The last part of that answer I save for treatment in my third point this morning. But in my second point, we focus on the gospel significance of holy baptism. Baptism is tremendously significant. It is not something to be put off. Our Reformed Church order, adopted by the Senate of Dort in the early 17th century, recognized the significance of baptism when it stated in Article 56, the covenant of God shall be sealed unto the children of Christians by baptism as soon as the administration thereof is feasible in the public assembly when the word of God is preached. The significance of baptism is evident from the fact that Christ instituted baptism for the sake of his church, his church in the midst of this world. And that's demonstrated in the the answer to to question 71. Where has Christ promised us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? The answer is this, in the institution of baptism which is thus expressed. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. When Jesus announced that institution of baptism to his disciples, they understood something that is not so clear to us when we read this in the English language. Because Christ was telling his disciples that you baptize into the name of the triune God. Into fellowship with the triune God. So for the sake of the church and to confirm the gospel preached in the midst of the congregation, Christ instituted this sacrament as a sign and seal of that gospel set before us in faithful preaching. He gave us the sacraments, as we heard last Sunday, not to work faith in us. The Spirit of Christ works faith in us by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. But the sacrament of baptism was instituted by Christ to confirm and strengthen that faith. When I speak of baptism as a gospel sign and seal, the gospel, as you know, is literally the good news. It's the good news that there is salvation for sinners such as you and I. Again, the external washing with water is not what cleanses us from our sin. The sprinkling of water is a sign and seal of that which Christ works by his Spirit when he washes us in his blood from all our sins. You understand then that the sacrament of baptism does not signify the salvation of all who receive the sacrament. It's the sign and seal of what God works by his Holy Spirit. To use the language again of of Romans 4 verse 11, it is a seal of the righteousness of the faith which is ours in Jesus Christ. The righteousness which is ours in Christ through faith. In baptism, we have the wonder work of God revealed in his only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not overlook the statement in Titus 3 verse 4 that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. God our Savior appeared in the person of his only begotten Son. That means that our salvation is tied inseparably 
to the historical events of Christ's incarnation, his works, his culminating in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as the proof of his finished work in cleansing his people from their sins. But that perfect work of Christ is not something disassociated from us. The Holy Spirit must apply that work to us, uniting us to Christ. That's the necessity of the washing of regeneration. And to whom, therefore, does the Spirit apply that cleansing power of Jesus' blood? To those who have been given to Christ by the Father, according to his eternal good pleasure, by which he chose a people in Christ out of this world of sin and death, and that from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So the sacrament of baptism is a sign and seal of the gospel to you who believe and to our children who are united to Christ by that living bond of faith established by God himself at the moment of their regeneration. The sacrament of baptism, then, is a gospel sign and seal of the tender mercy of our God in saving us and setting us apart for his own glory. Let's not forget that. All is for the glory of God. Your place in Christ's church had nothing to do with you choosing him. It had nothing to do with works of righteousness that you have done. According to God's mercy, he saved us by cleansing us with the precious blood of his own dear son. And Titus 3 verse 4 speaks of this as an expression of who God is. It speaks of our salvation as an expression of the kindness and love of God, our Savior. Again, beloved, how important it is that we are God-centered in our perspective and in our life. The greater our concept of God, the more amazing is the wonder of our salvation. Think of this. The creator of the universe, the one who has lived eternally in the fellowship of his own covenant life, his own triune being, and who can comprehend that? The God who holds the entire universe, all the galaxies, in his hands, whom the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain, the God who is holy, perfectly devoted to his own glory, who maintains the majesty of his Godhead throughout all history, that God 
has bestowed his love upon us. That God has been merciful to us, saving us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Remember who God is. And it must humble us and give us a proper sense of the wonder of our salvation. When Titus 3 verse 5 speaks of the washing of regeneration, it also referred, it's also referred to in, verse, in answer 71 of the catechism. It uses one of three terms that the New Testament uses with reference to regeneration. All of them speak of being born, the idea of generation. But 1 Peter 1 verse 23 speaks of literally of being born again. In John 3 verse 3, Jesus speaks of being born from above. In Titus 3, the term that the Apostle Paul uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is a term that speaks of being born anew. And there's something very beautiful about the way the term is used here. The one other time this Greek term is used is in Matthew 8, 19, verse 28, when Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And you probably say, hearing that verse, well, that doesn't speak of regeneration in the sense of salvation, but it does. Let me explain. The Holy Spirit would have us see the wonder of the gospel as signified and sealed in the sacrament of holy baptism. Not only is our new birth part of that gospel, but it is the beginning of a complete renewal, the beginning of our complete salvation. When in Matthew 19, verse 28, the Lord speaks of the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. He's speaking about what awaits us. He's referring to what the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans 8 verse 18 when he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he then goes on to explain that the whole creation shall be delivered from the bond, this bondage of corruption that characterizes this present time. There shall be a rebirth, if you will, of the entire creation in which we shall glorify God without sin, without sickness, 
without sorrow, without any of the effects of the fall, all the futility and corruption that causes us so much grief shall be completely removed so that when you think of your new birth, when you consider the washing of regeneration of which you are partaker by the wonderful grace of God, think of it as the beginning of the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. It's that big. It's that amazing. This work of God that he signifies and seals by holy baptism is that wonderful. It is indeed the gospel. Good news for all you who believe. But there's another element belonging to our being washed with the blood and spirit of Christ. An element that reminds us of a resultant obligation. And so that brings me to my third point today. Obligation. That's not a word that we Christians are to shy away from. It's a word we embrace. We embrace that word obligation with delight in the privilege we have to serve our Lord Christ to the glory of the God of our salvation. That obligation belongs not only to the purpose for which God has saved us, but to the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us. The Catechism expounds the truth of Scripture when it says that we are renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. The truth set forth is exactly that which is taught in Romans 6, verse 4, which we read earlier. Therefore, being buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's not forget Christian, by being baptized into Christ, is taken out of death into life. Whereas once our delight was in the things of this world, the pleasures that that Satan would hold before us as a fishing lure, and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, Now our delight is in living to the glory of God. So we embrace the obligations that he sets before us, delighting in the privileged place that he has given us as those washed with the blood and spirit of Christ. Yes, we have the struggle with the old man of sin the sinfulness of our old natures, always present. 
The satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is our perfect righteousness before God. But while in principle, that is, as a sure but small beginning, we have been renewed, transformed, and made holy by virtue of our faith union to Christ, Sanctification, as the Catechism describes it, is more and more to die unto sin and to lead holy and unblameable lives. That sanctifying work of the Spirit of Christ has to come to expression through our sinful nature. But so the Spirit works, applying the gospel of salvation to us continuously. He is at work in us without ceasing, so that as he applies the word to our hearts, also the word in the sacrament, our faith and sanctification continues to grow and develop to the glory of God our Savior. So holy baptism testifies to our complete salvation. All of God in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and because that salvation is God's work from beginning to end We rejoice in the assurance that we receive by the testimony of holy baptism. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. What a wonderful sacrament is the sacrament of holy baptism. After all, what a wonderful gospel that sacrament signifies and seals. While we have yet to consider the biblical teaching concerning the baptism of infants as members of the everlasting covenant of grace, we must see that in baptism, every true believer receives from Christ the affirmation of being united to him by faith as the Holy Spirit renews and sanctifies us, even as certainly as the external washing of water washes away the filth that clings to us. Do you believe the testimony of baptism The good news of the gospel that it affirms is not for everyone. Do you believe that by faith you have been made one with Christ, partaker of his death and resurrection? Then you have been baptized into his life more and more to die unto sin 
and to lead holy and unblameable lives. Amen. Gracious Father, we thank Thee for the wonderwork of Thy grace in washing us, renewing us, cleansing us by the precious blood of Christ and taking us into the fellowship of thine own covenant life. We thank thee for this blessed gospel and for the sacrament which signifies and seals this wonderful truth to our hearts. Continue to bless us. For thy name's sake and to thy name's honor and glory. For Jesus' sake, amen.